Hello, and welcome to episode five of the Low Tox Life podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today I have a really great show for you with someone who's only just recently come into my orbit through a dear friend of mine, Eleanor Antonio. And Eleanor is an incredible sort of conscious PR expert. So she really helps brands who have conscious living uh, and eco principles at the very core of their, their brand come out into the world and be discovered and, and get the media that they deserve. Now, Eleanor has a friend called Hannah Paris and Hannah and Eleanor decided to go into business together with their complementary skills and create ethical, sustainable underwear. Uh, and today's subject doesn't just revolve around the creation of the Mighty Good Undie brand, but also delves into the ethical fashion industry and also, if you like, the, the reason that the ethical fashion industry has had to be born, which is, of course, because of the very unsustainable way that our clothes are produced, the unsustainable way in which they're sold in the crazy numbers they are sold and bought at, and, uh, and the unsustainable way that labour has been structured in many, many of these, especially fast fashion companies, um, but not excluding luxury brands either. So Hannah really is at the forefront of the UK ethical fashion uh, movement, being based over there herself even though she's an Aussie lass. And, uh, and, and we really cover so, so much about ethical fashion today so that if this is a new topic for you or if you're just wanting to start getting a little bit more conscious around the clothes that we literally have on our backs, Hannah is just so approachable. And, you know, we really discover um, some fantastic tips from her that I hadn't even thought of myself in today's chat about how to become a little bit more sustainable in the way we choose, uh, buy, I reuse and um, and uh, on gift our clothing items. So I hope you enjoy today's chat and there are a stack of resources today in the show notes. So don't forget, you can always find those at lotoxlife.com forward slash podcast. Enjoy today's show. Hannah Paris, how are you? Hi, Alex. I'm really well. That's great. It is so great to have you on the Low Tox Life podcast. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, we're going to talk about such an important topic today. And it's one of those topics that we can very quickly think is in that too hard basket and we just can't get our head around it. And as with everything out there, it's all about empowerment and starting to trust supplies that are authentic and traceable and all the incredible things that you're going to give us as tips around ethical slash sustainable fashion today. But what I want to do before we hook into all of that is help everyone learn more about you. So can you just let, like paint the picture for us? You're a kid. Are you one of those kids who's climbing in trees in a forest in a rural space, off-grid, eco, you know, hippie-loving <laughs> parents, or were you a city kid? Like talk to me about childhood. Um, I was actually a city kid. I grew up in Sydney. Um, I grew up in a family that had a really strong sense of social justice um, and was always interested in politics, and I guess – I got interested in environmental issues from from that perspective, um, and I was always curious about the world. Uh, and I just literally fell in love with nature right in the middle of you know Sydney suburbia. Um, 
I was in quite a bushy area. I grew up in the North Shore, but I our family didn't camp or didn't get involved in the outdoors at all. So it was a bit of a, a bit of a quirk, um, I must say, in, in my interest. But I, I really did become, I guess, my my committed environmentalism or my passion for sustainability really started then. Beautiful. And in terms of industries, how did you end up moving towards fashion? Was it always going to be fashion? Did you try a few different things out or? No, no, it wasn't at all. Um, in fact, I probably have the most unusual background of anybody that I've met in the fashion industry. Oh, um, I, actually have, yeah, <laughs> I actually have a PhD in economics and I have spent um, – about 10 years working in public policy, academia and as a consultant in um, economic, um, environmental economics. Um, and from there, I kind of woke up, I was in a job that was meant to be my ideal job, job and I woke up one day and realised, A, I hated it and B, I was tired and I was sick of it um, because policy work is very much about looking at big picture stuff um, you know, change, trying to affect change, particularly through politics, and you never know whether your effort and your work is actually going to result in anything. Um, so I decided I wanted to um, start a business, and I wanted to start a business that helped people specifically to lead more sustainable lives by providing a product or a service that they used every day but was delivered to them at a good price in the most sustainable way possible. And I sat down and thought through all the different systems that we use every day, our transport system, our food system, our housing, our energy, and we've made really great leaps in all of those areas. What was missing was the clothes that we wear. So I started looking into the fashion industry and the clothing industry, and it turns out that it is I think the second most polluting industry on the planet has an enormous and social, social and um, social justice impact, and not a lot was being done about it when I started looking into this, particularly in Australia. So I decided I would start a fashion business. Wow, so it was quite calculated and measured in the way that you analyse different industries and and it's always going to be about that one that just speaks to your heart straight away, isn't it? There's almost like a click, like, you know, seeing someone that you find attractive in a crowded room. It's the same kind of, <laughs> oh, my gosh, that just fits for me. Yeah. Well, also fashion is fun. There's a very fun element to it. But more seriously, I mean, everybody gets dressed in the morning, whether you think that you're involved in fashion or not, you get dressed in the morning. And in that way, you engaged with the garment industry. Um, even if you wear secondhand clothes, or you wear ethical clothes, or you wear just fast fashion, whatever you do, you're engaging with that this particular industry in some way or another. So it's really fundamental to our lives. Absolutely. Um, so within that, um, obviously, as you started to peel back the layers, um, looking around at this second most polluting industry that you had um, stumbled upon to make your work, if you like, what was it specifically? Were there, were there a couple of injustices or pollution issues that really made you think, oh, my gosh, I've got to do something? I think it was more I, I sort of approached it from the flip side of that and I approached it from the side of um, uh, I guess a more positive framing than that. It was like I, I approached it from I'm really interested in organic 
fabrics and particularly in organic cotton. And then once I hit that point, I started looking at all the impacts of cotton and um, all the benefits of organic cotton. And I also am really interested in seeing whether there was ethical um, supply chains out there where workers' were rights were protected and nurtured, where they were paid properly, um, where they were, whether, whether they were supported. And so I knew about the fair trade system in cotton. And from there I started researching alternative, excuse me, um, production systems. Um, and then from that stop, you know, once I got to that point, I started learning more about why these systems exist. And I think now, looking back on it, the thing that horrifies me most about the industry is the amount of chemicals that are used, both in the growing of cotton and in the um, processing, particularly in the dyeing, and how that creates um, enormous amounts of water pollution. But on the social side of things, I'm particularly horrified um, about the use of child labour and forced labour and exploited labour right throughout the supply chain. So, uh, yeah, they were the things I, I definitely wanted to avoid and yeah. I found our, our supply chain managers successfully to do all of that. Mm. And this is the thing with, with creating change and with ourselves, like our everyday people out there thinking, I am a good person and I want to do good things in the world. Mm. Um, but like, let's just hazard a guess. If you were to go into any 22 year old person's wardrobe who doesn't know anything about ethical fashion, sustainable fashion, would you assume based on a wardrobe that contains say a hundred pieces all up that mm -hmm. of that hundred pieces in there somewhere, there was child labor involved? Um, the problem is we can't tell. Mm. Um, I wouldn't dismiss it, but particularly with Australian labels, they're not transparent enough throughout their entire supply chain. A lot of companies have in place um, a fairly robust policy on labour rights um, at what, they, what we call the first tier of supply, which is where it, usually the factory where the garments are cut, what we call cut, make, trim. You know, they get the fabric, they cut it, they sew it, they turn it into the garment. And they usually have um, a certain level of policies and a certain level of oversight at that level. But they don't go beyond that. They don't know where that, that fabric comes from. They don't know if it's cotton, they don't know who grew it. And so we don't know whether there is exploited um, labour in, in this hidden part of the supply chain. Now, it's probably a safe assumption that there probably is in lots of ways, particularly when you're looking at the fast fashion and the, the budget end um, of the industry because they're, they're purchasing, you know, uh, very cheap cotton. Cheap cotton, we know, depends on exploited or child labour. So it's not a bad assumption, but we just don't know. And that's why there's so much emphasis in the industry on transparency right throughout the supply chain. Mm, absolutely. Now, you mentioned um, how unsustainable and how many chemicals are used in the farming. Um, mm. And this is something that I'm quite passionate about. Um, but actually, interestingly, had a genetically modified cotton farmer write to me after um, I did a post on uh, uh, organic um, cotton mm. and the benefits of it who um, called me out and said I was uh, grossly misinformed and, and that you can't even really do organic cotton in Australia. Um, I haven't researched it enough to answer that gentleman yet and I always like to put time into a reply like that and I think it always makes me 
an even more informed, um, uh, open-minded person when I get an email like that because I really want to make sure that I'm don't just have my conviction or my idea of what's right, but really the science behind um, my uh, the things that sit well with me, if you like. Now, mm-hmm. it seems to me it can almost bring up the question, like should we really be growing cotton in a country where it doesn't seem to work or it isn't profitable or the farmer can't get ahead? Should a different country like India where it does seem to do quite easily um with the right tools for the farmers, you know. Do you know what I'm trying to get at? In, in yeah, this I mean, yes, it is a broader philosophical question about agriculture in Australia. I mean, we produce in India, and one of the reasons why we produce in India is India is the leading supplier of organic and fair trade cotton, and India has this enormous thousands of thousands of years of history of growing cotton. It's native to that country. We've brought it here to Australia. Cotton, we do know that cotton is a very thirsty crop. Australia is the second driest continent on the planet. <laughs> do the math. I, I mean, yeah. I don't know about the cotton industry in Australia either, um, but, you know, I kind of put that together and went, mm-hmm, okay. And not only in Australia, you know, there's uh, – I don't know whether there's actually any organic farmers in Australia growing cotton. Unfortunately, um, but- it seems not because it just doesn't seem to work. GM cotton is a different story. So it's really interesting. I'm at the very start of my research into it specifically for Australia, but I just thought it it just set off that alarm bell in terms of geography and how certain crops are suited to certain different geographies and landscapes. Um, Mm. You know, we know this and it's celebrated in something like the wine industry, for example, with different grapes Mm. um, doing well in different soils so why would we try and push to grow something so hard that we have to use um, chemicals or modified seeds uh, to if it's just not the right crop for that soil in the first place yeah look I, I'd agree and and um, I'd love to see the research about what you find in Australia because I'm my knowledge is more about just generally about organic cotton and about what, what's happening in India um, and the and the destructive impact that GMO cotton is having on the Indian, um, on on organic farming, organic cotton farming in India. And what is that destructive impact? Um, well, at the moment, something like I think it's about ninety eight percent of the world's cotton is GMO. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, one of the consequences um, of that for Indian farmers is that they are more easily getting into a cycle of debt and poverty because they have to buy the GMO seeds every year, then they have to buy the chemicals from the same company and all the treatments from the same company. And it gets it, it's actually um, it's a high-cost form of production. Mm. One thing business thought, model for them, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, that's a major... Yeah, it's a major motivator for me um, yeah. in terms of using non-GMO cotton is that it has this enormous social and economic impact on um, poor farmers. But on the organic side, um, it's getting harder and harder for farmers to source organic cotton seeds um, because of the dominance of GMO um, cotton. So, And is that the blowing over into neighbouring fields and therefore no longer being able to say organic and those sorts of things? Yeah, I'm not sure. I think that's the case in Australia. I'm not sure about India. Um, But in terms of, you know, the organic farmer has a lot lower costs because they buy the seeds but they generate internally a lot of the other inputs um, into their farm and that reduces the cost, um, input costs to their farms. How wonderful. 
Mm. Um, so obviously there's the that farming of the crop but then Mm. as you said um, where we move into the factories that make the garments and -hmm. you mentioned this before the dyes what are these dyes what's in them why are they so bad for us and the environment uh there's a whole lot of long list of dyes (laughs) yeah I, i know like give me your three worst or even your one worst um at the moment, we're doing a little bit of research into noni, what's called NPE, so non-phenols. Um, and basically, uh, so non-phenols and azo dyes are probably the two worst. Um, azo dyes are a form of cheap dye um, that's used to, uh, you know, create the colours, create a reliable colour in the fabric. Um and that can be toxic. Um, I'm going to have to send you the links to this. I'm sorry, yeah, Alex. We'll share it's it been in a the while since I've had okay. I'll guys. put you on the spot with something super technical. Now I feel bad. <laughs> um, fortunately, a lot of Australian labels now ban the use or restrict the use of azo dyes in their products. Oh, go but, Australia! Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, which is great. And a lot of countries are doing that now. With um, NPE's um, non-ephenol, um, they, uh, they get released into the waterways both in – so it's used as a, as a washing agent for fabrics and that gets released into the waterways where it's produced but it also carries on um, and becomes a residue in our own garments. And when we wash them, it gets released into our waterways and what – uh, and it degrades into something called, um, uh, sorry, it's the other way around. It's MPEs, non-ethanol ethoxylates, and then it degrades into something called NPs in the environment. And that became, then becomes a hormone disruptor. And that can actually be toxic to um, aquatic wildlife and particularly um, fish, fish wildlife. It can then enter into the human food chain. Absolutely, um, course, because then we feed on the fish. So Yes. Well, some of us do, and it's all coming back. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so they, um, I haven't had a look at the chemical stuff for, for a few weeks because we've been busy running around uh, getting ready for, for the Berlin Ethical Fashion Show next week. Um, but I do have some um, material that I can share on you. We have done um, quite a bit of research on MPEs and why we think um, they're a problem. And we would uh, love that. So, yeah, let's put that in the show notes for sure. Yeah, um, and the organic system that I use um, ensures that those toxic chemicals are banned from um, use within the factories. Oh, wonderful. And that's the transparency that you as a brand have now demanded from your suppliers Yes, that then encourages them to use, which is safer for their workers, safer for their town water. I mean, it works for everybody when people at any point of the chain start demanding something safer, isn't it? Yes. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Um, so the supply chain system that I use is called the Global Organic Textile Standard. That's and that wonderful. basically ensures that the organic cotton that's bought at the farm is what's delivered in the garment at, you know, when the consumer buys it. But in addition to that, at every stage of the production process, it requires um, the factories to um, implement um, – very high standards of environmental management and uh, social justice um, programs. So, for example, it, it guarantees that um, 
workers are allowed to unionise. It, um, it requires factories to put in wastewater management systems, uh, to reuse renewable energy wherever possible, to use uh, recyclable and recycled packaging. So it has all these additional elements to it which um, create a package that we know when we get it from our factory, every single environmental and social element that has been addressed can be addressed, that can be addressed, has been addressed. That's so wonderful. So the tip there is as people start to wise up and start to Google, you know, ethical fashion, sustainable fashion, because I would imagine there would still be, as there are in the chemical um, personal care and cleaning industries, a few greenwashers out there who try mm-hmm. and look like they're doing the environmental thing but they're not using mm-hmm. this crucial additional certification, the GOTS certification, G-O-T-S, um, yes. that really cements that authenticity throughout the entire production and um, labour chain. Yeah, and unfortunately the GOTS system is not very well known in Australia and not very many labels actually certify, textile labels actually certify to it. Sometimes labels... Can I just interrupt while I'm thinking of this? So you're obviously based in London. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you find that it's quite well known in the UK? Are you aware of America? Um, Uh, It's more... It, uh, a little bit. It's it's known a little bit more here. What's happened both in Australia and in the UK, I'm not sure about the US, is that the local organic certification agency, so in Australia that's um, Australian Certified Organics, and here it's the Soil Association, they sometimes, they credit, uh, if a brand is, is certified under the gods, then they will co co-credit and they will co-label with that product. So often garments might be carrying the ACO label or the Soil Association label because they have this GOT system behind them. So you can look out for both, really. Okay, great. But yeah, but even so, there's not that many brands that are certified under ACO either. So um, it's, yeah, it's a bit frustrating, <laughs> which is one of the reasons why I got into this in the first place. Good on you. I mean, and it needs everybody who has that frustration because you're the type of person who therefore has that fire in your belly to do something about it, Mm -hmm. um, to do the work so that everyone else can start jumping on the bandwagon and going, well, absolutely. Because something I find really interesting in uh, my e-courses and chatting to people through my private coaching over the years has been helping people connect with their values Forget Mm. making a better choice or eating better food or buying ethical fashion. Just forget all of that for a minute and think about your values as a person, what's really important to you. Is it Mm -hmm. family? Is it peace? Is it justice? Is it love? Is it, you know, and make a few kind of notes and really think about that. Then Mm. what you do as a consumer when you've got that hat on is you're really clear on your values and you start to question the choices you make more because, you know, you're in touch with your values and you think, well, that company I know uses petroleum in their food colours and um, answer to their shareholders before they answer to public health. Actually, that has nothing to do with my values. It's not about whether I should or shouldn't eat that, you know, junky treat. It's actually that I wouldn't touch something from a company that has values like that. And it changes the mental conversation for people, I find, in a super effective way. 
Uh, I completely agree, Alex, and I'm, I'm laughing almost in recognition. I mean, since I've got into all of this, my um, I've completely ruined myself for shopping. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, I know too much about what goes on behind all the fast fashion labels that you see on the high street. I guess, and I, I think that's really right, I think people need to think about because one of the problems or one of the issues that that ethical fashion face is that it is a higher cost than what we're used to paying because we pay too little and so people have this I guess um, sticker price dilemma about going for a higher uh, higher cost item but if they think of it in terms of their values they won't regret it Mm, you know there's no regret with buying the ethical fashion you really no. don't. And, you know, mm. I I have to be the first to admit that unlike with organic versus non-organic food where I'm around the 90 95% organic and then 5 to 10% go with the flow out and about, you know, don't stress when you're at your mate's house kind of thinking, with mm. fashion I'm still very much 50-50, you know. Mm. I will still be a sucker for that gorgeous bright yellow gown and think god god it's so divine and I will buy it if I have like an event and I have to speak at something and you know wear something pretty I'm almost there but I'm definitely not a hundred percent there yet so I want anyone to think out there that um, Hannah and myself are here preaching as pictures of perfection who never make any mistakes in any area of our lives. <laughs> this is not the case and it is not true and everyone's just trying to do the best they can. So I'm checking in here, if you like, to say no guilt, not allowed. Oh, yeah, look, you know, I completely agree. Yesterday I had to go and buy a pair of shoes because my my one pair of summer shoes here are starting to, to fall apart and that pair of shoes happened to be vegan. But um, I'm really busy. I couldn't find what I wanted on ethical fashion or it was just way too expensive. So I decided to go for the best quality that I could afford so that I know they will last as long as possible and I will wear them every day. And so, you know, you do what you can when you, when you, with the resources that are in front of you. Um, but just on that sort of impulse buying or the or the need to buy something new or pretty, um, I've actually recently got back into vintage shopping and London is a fabulous place to go vintage shopping, so it's great. Um, but I find uh, for those kinds of purchases, um, I, I look on eBay or vintage shopping um, for something like that if I feel like I need to buy something extra. Uh, that's not part of my, my capsule wardrobe. I tend to have a capsule wardrobe. It's very unexciting actually. <laughs> No, but that's really inspiring. And that tip on vintage shopping, I mean, you know, Sydney's great for vintage shopping as well. Online is amazing for vintage shopping. Oh, absolutely. Um, in, a, in the States, there are so many resources now. So it's definitely something to explore um, and to even start making a bit of a mix and match of, of outfits so that you have mm. a vintage piece matched with a ridiculously good quality skirt that you're just going to wear a million times, feel super proud of, so you trade it up and spent double but are buying half the amount of clothes now. You know, these are all these things really yeah. do help, don't they? Yeah. And you think I, I think it's definitely right. The quality, not quantity, um, is definitely the way to go for ethical fashion. Um, I tend to try and only have a wardrobe that's full of seven outfits for winter and seven outfits for summer and then maybe a few extra crazy pieces in there. Just trying to kind of limit my consumption 
um, but also just to make it actually makes life a little easier. Oh, it so just... does, doesn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> Sometimes I think the parents at school, when I do yeah. my school drop off and pick up for the little guy, um, think, you know, is, does she not have other options? You know, what are they doing it tough? Because I really do wear a uniform, especially in the winter. In the summer, I'm a little bit more fluid with yeah. my wardrobes, a bit more varied. But in yeah. the winter, I'm like two dresses, like wool dresses, black tights and either the comfy chic Uggs or the really good quality leather boots. And I just do that and it's a it's going to be the scarf that makes it look different. That's the yep. only thing that changes. Absolutely. Mm. I think the most important, I think probably a top tip for your listeners in terms of vintage shopping, um, which is what, you know, uh, what I follow is make sure you know what colours suit you and what styles suit you, particularly when you're buying online. So if you've got, say, um, an hourglass body shape and you know that you've got a waist, that you always need to have something that has a waist and it's defined, it might look absolutely gorgeous, but that long flowy dress you know is not going to suit you. Mm. So don't buy That is so French of you to say that. I'm half French and (laughs) my mum was one of those mums when I was a teenager and I know she'll be listening to this podcast and probably cringe that I even mentioned her and brought her into this. But, um, But she was so frank. She would say straight away, honestly, to my face, you look pathetic. That is showing, you know, a bulge here or a, you know, she was never one of those mums who sugarcoated how I looked in particular styles or colours. <laughs> and I have to say, while it was ridiculously painful at the time <laughs> and probably made me want that garment even more just because she said I didn't look good in it. Looking back, it actually has helped me be really cut and dry about what works and what doesn't. And I think half of the problem of this, you know, you picture your teens shopping or the over-complimentary mum or grandmother figure where everyone's always saying, oh, yeah, you look great. Yeah. We don't need that. That is is making us buy into buying because if we look great in everything, then of course we want everything. <laughs> yeah, no, look, absolutely. And yeah. it's buying buying for your shape and buying for your colours, it really empowers you to make good choices. Um, so you can buy less and get better wear out of what you what you're what you're wearing and what you actually have in your wardrobe. And I found it um extremely helpful when I first started buying this way and it also made me feel better about my body shape and about the way I looked because you know I'm not six foot tall size zero model which is what a lot of clothes are designed for so being being able to take control of uh and understanding what looked good on me and why really helped me um, with my body confidence Brilliant. I love this tip. And it's such an unexpected tip in the ethical, sustainable fashion conversation, if you like. But this is exactly the kind of thing that helps us evaluate and be more critical when we're scanning that shop rack and think, actually, this season doesn't work for me. You know, that's that shape's not for me. I'm not A-line or I'm not pencil skirt or, you know, whatever it Mm. might be. 
And then it just stops you buying because you're just being honest with yourself about whether it's going to work for you or not. I love that. That's great. Yeah, I've got a link to um, my Audrey Blue on my Audrey Blue website with a little bit of a guide um, on how to shop for your body shape. So I can yeah. send that link. To you. Fantastic. We've got that in the show notes coming then. Mm-hmm. Now um, let's get on to speaking of Audrey Blue. Tell us about that. Why you started it. Um, well, Audrey Blue was really my first venture into um, this eco fashion space that I wanted to create a women's label that was full of really easy to wear, smart casual items that women could wear, you know, on the weekend or to work or wherever to prove that we can actually produce good quality clothes at a reasonable price using uh, a, a supply chain that has the highest ethical standards. Um, and it's it's been going okay. Um, at the moment, while we're getting mighty good um, off the ground, it's in a little bit of hiatus, um, which is a bit frustrating. I still am selling stock um, online, um, but I'm not doing any design work in there at the moment while um, I get my other label um, up and running. Um, but basically, yeah, it was kind of that, that's what Audrey Blee was. It was proving that it, that it can be done. Brilliant. And so in terms of, you know, you mentioned at a reasonable price, mm-hmm. did you feel that like think of the big guys and, you know, a lot of them listed on public stock exchanges and answering to shareholders and that kind of um, pressure to come in at budget or under budget or undercut and, you know, all of that race to the bottom kind of thinking. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that uh, an ethical, sustainable fashion business and label can be profitable? Yes, I think it can because um, at the moment a lot of ethical fashion brands are very small scale and when you do all the numbers, it's the small scale which actually drives up the price because even if production is is, um, is relatively cheap, you've still got these enormous fixed overheads of running a business. But if you can scale up production, you get, can get economies of scale in your production process. That drives down unit costs and that can help drive down the price even though you're still producing ethically. I love so, that. So does that mean all of us out there who could stretch to the $40 T-shirt instead of the $15, $20 T-shirt to the $100 jeans instead of the $15 to $20 jeans should be for the simple fact that we will be doing our duty if budget permits and maybe it's a little reshuffle but, you know, buy less, buy better and all the stuff we've already talked about. Yep. It's our duty to actually, if we can, help grow this market so that everyone can start benefiting from some economies of scale. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's exactly why we started Mighty Good Undies brand is to develop a range and a brand that was would, we would be able to scale up. I love it. Oh, my gosh. Segway professional, Anna. That was <laughs> fabulous because oh, this leads I'm me. <laughs> this leads yep. me to ask you about this fantastic undies brand that you guys, you and the wonderful Eleanor, your business partner, who is a dear friend of mine, have come together and have had a successful crowdfunding campaign to revolutionise undies, make them extremely ethical, extremely sustainable and as sexy or practical, depending on the style, as we want, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. So the thinking behind, as I said, the thinking behind Mighty Good Undies was to develop a brand that um, can more easily scale um, 
up basically um clothes are fantastic dresses and things are fantastic but they're at a relatively higher price point so we wanted to develop a product that we could sell at a lower price point so that people could then try out ethical underwear they could give it a go they could feel how much softer the organic cotton is they could experience buying an ethical fashion product and really use that as an entry into this whole whole way of thinking so underwear is really perfect for that because it's small and you use it you know it's, it's part of our daily lives and it's under your clothing people don't see it etc etc so that's how mighty good undies got started um and i partnered with elena um partly because I wanted to have a team behind me this time and I was looking for a partner who um, had a lot of experience in communications and PR and that's that's Elena's background. Well, with your PhD in economics and, <laughs> and your ethical fashion background and Elena's amazing um, communications and just her her like visual love of things being enticing and gorgeous you know she does such a good job of those sorts of things yeah absolutely. I think the two of you are a match made in heaven and I just can't wait to see this fly um, <laughs> thank you can people buy this underwear range yet yeah they can um we're going into production um as we speak um we have um we we have a we've set up our shop online on our website and I can send you the link um, to that um, and people were taking pre-orders um, for our first three um, styles that we um, are going into production for. Wonderful. And we hope to grow that range over time. Yeah, great. Now with underwear, obviously there's that stretchy kind of element to it. What is woven in with the organic cotton? Yeah, so it's 95% organic cotton and 5% elastane. So it's a fairly standard fabric that you'd find in pretty much all of your underwear. Um, and it's there just to give it that little bit of strength um, and longevity as you wash them, but also comfort as well. Yeah, great. Um, and uh, has what's been the most exciting thing about getting this off the ground? You know, you come up with the idea and you think underwear is great, low price point, not so scary to venture into the the world of ethics and organic cotton. Um, did you was there something about the whole creation process or you know meeting the perfect supplier for you guys? What what were some of the highlights of getting this brand off the ground? Um, oh gosh, all of it. But <laughs> I would say um, it was more of a moment rather than a, it was more of a feeling across a range of different moments rather than one specific point. I think because it was my idea originally, um, and then I went out and found Elena. And I think uh, what's been most exciting to me is to see this project grow as both our babies and then to take on a life of its own and have other people get involved and other get, people get really excited about it, particularly through the crowdsourcing campaign. The feedback that we got was amazing. Oh, absolutely. So, Everyone's desperate yeah. for these things to be launched. It's great. Yeah, so that's been the most exciting sort of thing for me. I love it. And on your website, you've got the, you know, these people make your undies. You've actually got the pictures and the stories of the people. Can you talk yep. to us about one of those people and, and something about them that that you find gorgeous, you know, just knowing that you're working with this person? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, my favourite 
um, the person who always inspires me whenever I feel like I get overwhelmed or like, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? I always think of um, Rajat Jaipuria, who is the owner of the factory who's going to be making our undies, um, Raj Lakshmi Cotton Mills. Um, Rajat, uh, so the Cotton Mills are a family-owned factory. They've been in the family for about 80 years. Oh, wow. Um, They are a family that's very concerned and very passionate about the welfare of their community and they deliberately set up in Kolkata in West Bengal in India because it was the location in India where they saw they needed to create jobs. You know, they had a choice of being able to establish all their way over, you know, all around India but they chose that particular city because it was where their family came from and where they, they needed jobs. So they started the factory this great social ambition. Um, And then when Rajat um, took over from his father, I think it was about 15, 20 years ago, he converted the factory into um, a certified fair trade and organic cotton factory. And that's what they focus on. It's their passion. It's what they really want to do. Um, And I think probably if not 100%, then close to 100% of their production is certified organic and fair trade cotton. They might take on a few other jobs just, you know, to pay the bills. Um, But they are really, it's part of their DNA, their business DNA, um, producing ethically. And so being able to support him to create demand for his business through his business to create demand through the supply chain is is the most exciting thing for me. Um, Plus Rajat is... A, a lovely gentleman. He is um, warm, friendly, um, a little on the shy side, which is very endearing. Oh, beautiful. Um, always ready to help. He's an absolutely gorgeous man. So I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah. yeah that's so He's always inspiring me. Yep. Now, you mentioned briefly that you had, that you admitted to um, sometimes having a, oh my gosh, I can't do this. Um, moment and you know I think for all the business owners or actually in fact everyone everyone has these I can't do this freak out days you know what does your give up day look like you know we've all had them and how do you as a person work to kind of just get over yourself and get your mojo back (laughs) um I think two things. Occasionally I take a day off and go and spend time in outdoor green space. You've got a start-up and you take a day off? This is, <laughs> wow, <laughs> Hannah. Luxury. I know, I know, outrageous. <laughs> um, uh, so, but I, I try and make sure that I spend any days off that I have outdoors in, in some green space, um, hopefully with my husband at the same time, not always. Um I think also I make sure that I have a good team around me and I think that's one of the reasons why Elena and I work is that if I'm having a panicky day or, oh, my God, this is all too much, et cetera, et cetera, I call her up and we just talk it through and she says to me, don't panic. You know, I do the same for her as well. Don't panic. We've got this. We can only do what we can do. And we just start working. We start listing out and we start working out what the problems are and what our priorities are. And I think for me... Um, dealing with those moments, I think it's really critical uh, to have people that you can go uh, and and have a a brain dump on or a or that's a, so you know, key, isn't it? You actually I'm need to have what the am people, I doing? yeah, yeah. That you can feel comfortable to brain dump on. 
Yes, yeah. yes. I think that that's really critical. And here in London, I found a co-working, uh, a shared working space that I have made a, a fabulous network of other women working on their own businesses. And we, we do that with each other. It's like, oh, my God, or I'm doing this or I'm overwhelmed or, you know, so we have this culture in that space of being able to do that and being able to work through, through problems in a, in a mutually supportive way. Beautiful. And I think once you, as you said, once you see those problems or all the things causing the overwhelm can quite often be because it hasn't been dumped onto a list. And once it's on paper, you're like, oh, okay, that's just a series of jobs. And I'll just start off with number one. Yes. <laughs> way, yes, way, way easier. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yes. And that's yeah something I have to get better at, as everyone keeps on telling me, write everything down. Don't keep everything in your head. Um, but I also think it's important to realize that, that this is normal. You know, it's, you're not being a failure. You're not being a freak if you have one of these freak out days. It's normal. Everybody goes through it. Everybody deals with it. Mm. Um, and we're not and special for having one either. And that will stop no. us for, from um, indulging too far into it, you know, because at yep. the end of the day, Yes, we're allowed the freak out, but no, we're not allowed to stay there. We have the brain dump, we make the list, we make a plan, and we get the heck on with it because otherwise yeah. it becomes this indulgent, overanalyzed, bigger problem that simply isn't that big most of the time when we just do what we need to do to, to get out of the funk. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things that Alana and I did when we finished the, the crowdsourcing campaign is this, we took five minutes just to reflect back on what we've achieved as well. So we had this enormous big, you know, to-do list and things to get to Berlin, but we made sure that we also stopped and celebrated with each other even if it was just remotely um <laughs> the champagne will wait till we get to Berlin um you know what we've actually achieved so far and it, again that's a really great way of reinforcing your confidence that you can do this it's not rocket science you know you just just keep at it and I think one of my biggest lessons I learned from my PhD um and it's certainly a lesson that I brought into my business was just keep at it just do something. Just keep at it. You know, you've just got to keep going. Just Don't, keep never, at it. We need T-shirts, ethical, organic yeah. cotton T-shirts. If you yes. could make those for us with just keep at it written on <laughs> sure. the front, I dare say many of us would probably do well to go to bed wearing one of those so that that's the first thing we see in the morning. <laughs> yeah, because it. it Often that's the difference. In, in fact, if I had to pick only one thing between failure and success, it's that. Mm. It's stubborn, dogged commitment to what you're going to achieve. Yeah. You know, and, you, and I try and make progress every day, even if it's just sending one email or doing one tiny little thing. I try and make progress every day. Just keep at it. I love it. This is such a good tangent. Um, I just think, you know, this is gold and it just applies to so many different people and all of our lives, you know, anyone, you know, maybe you're finding motherhood difficult, uh, maybe you're finding a, the new job difficult. You don't have to necessarily work for yourself. These are things that we all face. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for absolutely. indulging that little tangent. It was actually a bit mammoth, but, you know, I, I'm the tangent queen, so... <laughs> I love tangents too, yes. That's where you, you find some of the joy in life. You totally yep. do. You find the nuggets. 
Um, okay, so Mighty Good Andy has successfully crowdfunded. You guys are in production now. You're heading to Berlin for the ethical fashion. Is it a festival or is it a big expo? What What's happening in Berlin? Um, it's a big trade show. Okay. So it's... Um this shows how much notice I make. Uh, I take of mainstream fashion. It is it is Fashion Week next week in Berlin, but there's several different major, um, as well as all the glamorous kind of um, fashion shows that you would expect in Fashion Week. There's also quite a number of trade shows, and so this particular one we're going to is a trade show specifically for ethical fashion from around Europe. Brilliant! And so is mm-hmm. this where you hope to be seen by um, department stores or? you know, Whole Foods in America or, you know, is this the kind of place that buyers are coming and checking out what's new? And Absolutely it is, yes. So we're hoping um, at the moment, being a small company, we're hoping to define, um, to find distributors in different countries. Um, but basically, you know, because we're at the start of our journey, we're open to talking to anybody um you know, on any opportunity um, and we'll, we're really kind of putting ourselves out there to the universe, so to speak, and see what we get back. That's very exciting. Well, I wish you <laughs> heaps of success next week. Now, Thank can you. I ask you for a couple of tips to finish off our mm. convo? Sure. Um, convo, that's so Australian. For any um, <laughs> one from the United States or from <laughs> the UK, that means conversation in any other language, but we shorten everything in Australia so you can have a little laugh at us. Um, now, your favourite documentary. So someone's listened to us, they're like, oh, my gosh, I've never thought about fashion. Where am I going to go to learn next? Have you got a couple of go-to books uh, blogs to follow or documentaries that we can share with the listeners? I think um, the book The High Price of Cheap by Elizabeth Klein really opened my eyes. Yeah. Um, fabulous book. Um, I'm really looking forward to reading um, Tansy Hopkins. Oh, what's her book called? I, I just uh, The name's um, has just gone out of my brain at the moment. That's okay. um, we'll pop it in the show notes. Yep. Um, I think the True Cost movie is I a really love important the true thing cost. to see. Oh. Yeah. Um, the Guardian um, has had, the Guardian newspaper has had a series of incredible, um, broader investigative journalistic pieces on the Rana Plaza disaster and on um, child labour, um, particularly in the fashion industry, and they're certainly worth checking out. Yeah. Um, I think that's where, yeah, where I would uh, start. Mm. And um, I think I might just add one there. To Die For is a great book. Um, we, and, oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Lucy Seacrest. Yes, course. exactly. And the, the wonderful thing that I learned from her when I saw a friend interview her at the Opera House a couple of years ago um, was think, would I wear this? Do I love it that much to wear this at least 30 times? Yeah. What yeah, a metric for choosing advice. your clothes, hey? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah there's quite a, a campaign on at the moment um, in the UK around that. Um, uh, uh, Livia Firth, Colin Firth's yes. wife, is a really um, big champion. Eco-age, yeah. is yes. that right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, eco Oh, I pronounce it eco-age, yeah. Um, <laughs> My she... half-Frenchy coming out. I want it to sound a bit more <laughs> posh. Eco-age. Well, she's Italian, so yeah. you know, I don't know how she pronounces it. Um, but she has been championing and she's been running that campaign and, it, and it's a fabulous thing. And when I first saw it, I thought, only 30 wears? But mm. actually I realised that most people only wear their clothes four or five times, mm, at least. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yes, so uh, yeah, she's fantastic to follow on Instagram and to see the green carpet challenge where yeah. amazing stars wear these gorgeous ethical gowns and it's really helping to show that this isn't just about, you know, hippies in some off-the-grid town wearing hemp, scratchy hemp tops. <laughs> this is about, no. you know, we can still look beautiful, we can still feel sexy. Um, as we've talked about, like that critical thing where we actually wear clothes that suit us for a start in terms of our body shape and yeah. and style, you know, it's, it's totally possible. Um, yeah. yeah, it's really exciting. So speaking of body shape, jeans is something we all buy. What is mm-hmm. what a couple of your go-to brands? Doesn't have to be Australian, and people are listening from all over the place. Go-to jeans brand that you might have uncovered. Um, well, at the moment, um, I'm waiting for my jeans to wear out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but I'm getting really excited about nudie jeans. Okay, uh, I finally worked out that they actually sell to women too. Um, but also the label Good Society, which is a European label. Um, but actually, a really, really, really exciting thing that's happening is with Levi's. They are doing some incredible work at the moment on reducing water waste um, and improving um, the environmental impacts of their jeans. And they're also starting, they're doing some experimental work um, creating jeans out of recycled cotton fibre. Wow. So, uh, Levi's are definitely my go to jeans. So, it's post consumer um, cotton. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, with a company called Envry, I think it's still experimental, um, but it, to me, what it really shows is a company and a company management that's really committed to improving their supply chain and 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 doing some really fundamental changes to their supply chain. So, and they're you know one of the most well known brands in the world. Everyone can access them. Um, they're certainly uh, my go to brand. Oh, I'm excited, and you know it's kind of like. Um, Lego committing to being petroleum free. It's kind of like IKEA mm. committing to 100% sustainability. You know, they're mm. big, big leaders um, yeah, saying, absolutely. you know, we're brave enough to shoot for 100%. So okay. who's with us? And that just encourages more people in other industries. Um, and, you know, what a beautiful thing where instead of the competition being a race to the cheapest, it's a race to the most ethical story to tell and yeah, to absolutely. have as a part of your brand DNA to do the best for the world. That just yeah. gets instead of this spiralling down energy that we have in all production, um, industrial production, it helps us spiral up. And if you think about that energetically, not to get too woo-woo, but it just it just makes everything happier, brighter, more beautiful. Um, I'm going to adopt that term, more woo-woo. That's fantastic. <laughs> um well, no, and definitely that's what we need in the industry. We need industry leaders, both at the small scale, which is what we're trying to do, but also at the larger scale as well. And so it's really exciting to see what Levi's are doing. So if anybody out there is listening who works at Levi's, thank you. Fantastic. Yay. High five to you. I love it. Gosh, we have uncovered so much in this chat. Um, I'm very excited for your mighty good undies to be um, sharing the goodness with the world. So there will be so many links in our show, show notes because this is obviously one of those topics that is still in its infancy of being understood. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're still very low confidence, if you like, as a population in terms of knowledge, in terms of how to shop for, 
how to find, and I'm going to be listing some of my favorite organic, ethical, um, got certified brands as well that you guys can check out, uh, as well as those books, documentaries, uh, and any um, further research that you might want to do. So the show notes today are packed with extra resources for anyone who's keen to start digging into this topic. Thank you, Hannah, so much for joining me today. My pleasure. It's been fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a wonderful English summer's day. I'm mm-hmm. going to wind down <laughs> now on my side of the world and, um, mm-hmm. and probably have a cup of tea and write up these show notes. So thank you. And I really look forward to bringing you in in a year's time when we have to revisit Mighty Good Andy because you guys are like iconic emblems of the fashion industry revolution into ethics so yeah thank you very much i'm excited we're all sending you good vibes for berlin thank you very much for your kind words (laughs) bye Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode of the Low Tox Life podcast. I would love for you to check out the show notes as well, and you can find those at lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast. Now, if there's anything that inspired you from today's episode, I would so love to hear and have you share that maybe online use the lotox life hashtag and i can be found on twitter or instagram at a l e x underscore stuart s-t-u-a-r-t now if you liked what you heard today and you want to join us again next time subscribing is a great way to be notified of a new episode so hit subscribe and i look forward to welcoming you next time bye for now For your ears. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.